Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on uh, March the 1st, 2013. It's a bit delayed there, but there's uh, complications that are under. Um, what we do here on this pro- program is to go through the big system and the history of it and where it's taking us. It's all very evident. And uh, member two, you're the audience that bring me to you. I don't bring on advertisers as guests. And you can buy the books and discs that I have at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com to help you understand the system of chronology. That's what's called chronology, the art of ruling the world and vast amounts of people. So help yourself to that. All three audios, as I say, go through the history of the big foundations that the big bankers got together as far back as the 1700s, in fact, and decided to form their own parallel government that eventually would rule the world via money, basically, and via also getting the hold of the reins of power, politics, and so on. And it's all been accomplished. And here we are today living through it, the last standardization of the few countries left they don't have central banks, private central banks, and who are not beholden to the World Bank. But once we bond them into, into oblivion, then of course the first guys in are the IMF and the World Bank to give them a big dirty loan with compound interest, which you cannot ever, ever, ever pay off. They're just there forever. So, as I say, to that, remember two uh, from the US to Canada, you can order using personal checks or international postal money orders, or you can send cash or use PayPal across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal, and straight donations are really, really welcome. Now, I've had trouble too, as you well know, with exploring it many times in the past, as they try to choke you off, and uh, generally to get the guy to come out uh, from the repair shop and sell you a whole bunch of new stuff that you don't really need. And, of course, after uh, replacing stuff that generally is not defunct and costing you about a thousand bucks or whatever, uh, then suddenly it starts working again after you make a call to explore now. So they throttle it, and I've got this throttling going on. So that's why it's been awfully slow in uploading and so on. Even today, I can't even... Uh, I, can, I can't even draw... They pulled down any pictures at all with the Java on whatsoever. All I can do is just get the print. And I'm paying over you know, a lot of money for this. But anyway, that's what happens in this world when you're not authorized to be out there. And uh, and every corporation today is just corrupt. They use blackmail like, we've got it, you need it, uh, pay up or else. And um, as I said before, with exploring it, definitely it's a definite choke that I've got on mine because I'm uploading less than I used to. And yet they're, char- they're just giving me less and less time on it at all. So this is standard procedure. And I won't bitch about it much longer, but uh, I'm looking at alternative ways to get a signal here, other maybe a hub or something like that. Now, as we well know, that certain things in the world are taboo topics, but it depends who says it, of course. Then it's not so taboo. But even if you say it or read it, in fact, it could still be taboo. It depends on the thought police that are running the world today. And I was reading in articles in Canada yesterday where we've got our own thought police here and language police and everything else now. Exactly what Orwell talks about, 
And remember, too, that uh, Orwell's character in 1984, Winston said the right to freedom was the right to say 2 plus 2 equals 4, where O'Brien, that was his master and tormentor, said, no, it's whatever we say it is. In other words, reality is whatever we say it is. If I put up four fingers and I say it's five, you better say it's five. You better believe it, you see. And that's how mad indoctrination gets you to this Pavlovian training through fear, and so on. And freedom of speech cannot be uh, infringed because if you do that, you've got nothing left. You're living under tyranny. And often you can actually tell who's the, who the tyrants are by the power that they wield over you. Quite simple. But there's an article that came out today. It says, Israeli sniper Mor Ostrovsky posts a photo of a Palestinian child in the crosshairs of a rifle. Uh, on Instagram, he put the photograph apparently. I can't see it because I can't pull it down. It just stalls out on me. And it says, um, it says it drew outrage and condemnation across the internet, leading to an official rebuke from Israel's military. It says the image depicts a young boy sitting near a field with his back towards the, the viewer. As the camera appears through what appears to be the scope of a sniper's rifle, the boy's head sits centered in a set of crosshairs. They weren't really the ones where they actually fire them, but I mean, there's been ones out in the past that's happened too, by the way. Anyway, it's reported in different papers that Ostrovsky is a sniper for the, the Israeli army, and given the minarets and Arabic architecture in the background of the photo, the child is likely Palestinian, who are slated for extinction, as we all know, after watching this for since 1946 or so. And um, it says the Israeli army has condemned the incident, saying it doesn't accord with the idea of spirits and values. Well, there's many other articles up there from uh, the Israeli newspapers which would contradict that, believe you me. But I'll put this up tonight anyway, and it's just one of the many things that you shake your heads at every day, all through your life actually, as you get this more commonly and more commonly and more commonly. It seems that some, some people in this world of freedom and equality are more important than others. And uh, Orwell said the same thing in such utopias, you know, some are more equal than others too. So that's what you've got, folks. Now, this is an, an interesting little article. It says, New York Clinic seeks smallpox vaccine test subjects. Now, these things go on all the time. They generally get people, and you'll see that in, buried into the, the, the newspapers under want ads and so on. And it's generally, it goes for the unemployed, so we're really broke, dead broke. And or it's between before they get their money kicks in, their insurance company kicks in and starts paying them some cash to tide themselves over. But these are the ones that they go for all these all kinds of injections. And it's so ridiculous because you don't know really ever what you're getting. You just don't know, no matter what they tell you. But anyway, it says New York seeks uh, smallpox vaccine test subjects. It says uh, a facility in Irondequot, New York, is one of 40 locations in the U.S. testing a vaccine against smallpox that was made available in Europe a few years ago. It says this uh, Rochester Clinic, uh, research clinic, is one of 40 locations that will test a combined total of 4,000 people. RCR is enrolling 115 adults between the ages of 18 and 40 for the study who were never vaccinated against smallpox. And um, it goes on and on and more and more and about it. But, but they're giving you really what is, uh, it's, it's like a, a smallpox-like vaccine. It's a synthetic type, but it's live. That's what they're doing. And then this story came in too, <laughs> right after it too. It was just coincidence, but here it comes out. It says, San Diego man sexually transmits smallpox vaccine virus, because it's from the vaccine, you can tell. And it says, um, 
A smallpox THA gay San Francisco Diego man came down with a smallpox related virus after having sex with someone who received a, vac- a vaccination for the once epidemical illness. The case first reported in the CDC's morbidity and mortality report came to light last summer when a 24-year-old man with secondary vaccinia virus transmission, that's from the, the vaccination, came to the hospital complaining of a rash. The patient had lesions on his anus and lips and developed fever, fatigue and nausea. The doctors diagnosed him with the vaccinia virus after realizing he'd sex a week earlier with a man who received a smallpox vaccine but not kept his vaccination site adequately covered. <laughs> his vaccination site adequately covered. Anyway, the infected man, I wonder where he got it, eh? The infected man also had sex with a third man two days before he sought treatment. The third man sought treatment a week later and developed uh, lesions on the forearm, his penis and scrotum and experiences, experienced malaise, uh, sore throat and nasal congestion. The smallpox was officially eradicated globally in 1980. So they're doing all these experiments for something that's supposed to be gone. Why? Hmm? This is, but it's believed the original carrier was given the smallpox vaccine as part of a Department of Defense program. So he, that ties in with the last one. They don't mention Department of Defense. It's probably for that. Required for all military personnel after heightened concerns about bioterrorism. The vaccine virus is similar to, but cannot actually cause smallpox. Well, we'll see. Those who have been inoculated can experience symptoms including rash, fever, aches, and be contagious. The virus doesn't have to sexually be t- transmitted sexually. It can spread by skin-to-skin contact or via infected clothing. And so the smallpox vaccine is a live virus vaccine, and it's not news that it can infect people, but it cannot convert to smallpox. I'd like to have that in, 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 with a battery of lawyers in, in writing. Dr. Mark Siegel, a professor of medicine at NYU, told Medical Express, it's a different virus. It's a kissing cousin. Well, it depends where you kiss it. Or smallpox. It can be transmitted if you are not careful. And uh, since both infected may have recovered fully, and now have the bonus of being immune to smallpox. So it gives you smallpox immunity, but it's not a smallpox one, right? It's a synthetic one. <laughs> so it's, it's really comical to watch what's going on in the world. And also this article, too, is from RT, and it says Obama's to threaten Iran with military strikes in June, according to the Israeli media. And it says, according to a report on Israel's Channel 10 news that has since been picked up by the Times of Israel press, Obama will use an upcoming meeting overseas to discuss a military strike on Iran. President Obama is scheduled to visit Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu next month, and during the get-together, two leaders will reportedly work out the details for a possible assault. <laughs> Between the two of them, right? And, and also, too, in the aftermath of the old ex-Soviet system, which is being replaced by the new EU Soviet system, uh, they have massive, massive poverty in some countries. That's why they're flooding out, flooding, flooding out uh, under this great European uh, Union, which is, as I say, it's a Soviet. That's what it is, dictatorial, it's authoritarian, it's, it's not democratic at all. It says, no wonder so many in Romania want a new life in Britain. Well, they all, the problem is Britain is sinking with a weight of all flooding in from all over the place, the whole world. But this migration expects predicts tens of thousands of people will flood in from Romania to Britain each year after the EU restrictions are lifted on January 1st, 2014. And it shows you these ghetto areas inside the country. I can't see the pictures, so I can only imagine. 
And it says uh, there's uh, hundreds of gypsy and, and Roma people, the gypsy people, and they show why they're so desperate for a new life in the UK. But again, uh, this causes more problems in the countries that are already destitute and cutting back on their welfare for the citizens in Britain because, and their health care and everything else because they're paying for so, so much, which they shouldn't be at all. Also, it's this new and horrific trend of CIA bombing suspects. This is the trend, you know. If they might go and bomb you one day, why don't just kill them now? If they may do one day. So it says they're bombing suspects now just in case they're guilty. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about the system and how they're really... We're seeing these articles actually in, in the papers more and more about the, the, the drone strikes, etc. across the world. That's getting you uh, acclimatized to the fact that eventually they'll be used internally for the same purposes, uh, just to take out the potential possible, possible suspects of anything at all as, as they spread terrorism down any basic law, and that's where it's supposed to go. We all know that. But that's why they're, they're really letting all the public know what they're up to in other countries right now. You get used to it, you accept it, you adapt. And then when it happens in your own country, it's, oh, well, I guess it had to happen. And that's your, your pre-programmed for it too. So I'll put this one up as well. And this one too is, is quite interesting because I never, I never watched the Oscars. It's just too much flamboyant nonsense for me. And uh, this is written... Uh, but in the Jewish journal, it's his Oscar's big Jewish joke. And this, uh, the writer, Daniel Bering, goes through, uh, have got all these inside jokes with the general public, they're oblivious of too, to do with, with Jewishness, basically, in Hollywood. And it says, but for some reason, the Jewish establishment, if you say anything, it's akin to a crime. It says, talk of Jewish power is a sewer or forbidden. If it exists, it should be secret. Therefore, the historic and enduring Jewish presence in Hollywood is publicly regarded as myth, a falsity, a stereotype, and should not be construed as fact. It is dangerous, much too dangerous even to joke about. Take, for example, this year's big Jewish Oscar joke, which came courtesy of the host Seth MacFarlane and was delivered by the actor Mark Wahlberg and his snugly-looking, smut-talking, sidekick stuffed bear. Anyway, she was on about it too, how they give it these jokes commonly, at the, the thing about their in-house jokes. But she said basically at the end, uh, all, after all the different people attacked them, the authorized attackers that they have uh, in that community. And she says that some of us don't need to be looked after. We're quite comfortable being what we are, she says. And uh, it makes sense too, because even I mean, other people censoring, even the, the people they're supposedly protecting, they're censoring them from having a joke as too, and it's just gone too far. And again, a lot of people too are really comfortable in their own skin these days. They feel quite safe and all the rest of it. So I'll put this up tonight and you can read through it. You can see who actually condemned the jokes and it's getting just out of hand, all this, you know, all this, all this thought police and so on. And also an article too uh, about uh, from uh, a guy who also wrote for the, he writes for, for the Elliot Times and who Tells you who runs Hollywood. He's not ashamed of it, he says. And, um, he says, how, he says, um, how Jewish is Hollywood? A poll finds more Americans disagree with the statement that Jews control Hollywood, but here's one Jew who doesn't. 
And he, Joel Stein, uh, goes right through it. He actually calls Americans pretty stupid. They don't know who runs it. <laughs> he actually says that. Actually, this is his words. It actually shows how dumb Americans have gotten. Jews totally run Hollywood. And that was from 2008. I'll put that up tonight. So, But it really is thought police and all this nonsense. It's just getting beyond the jokes. Way beyond any kind of joke. In this article, too, this came in today. U.S. big guns row over Honduran hate Pope candidate. And again, that's from the Jewish Chronicle, and it says, Harvard academic Alan Dershowitz has hit out at the Anti-Defamation League. So there are two groups that, that are the, the thought police and the speech police today fighting with each other, because one of them says that this candidate for papacy is okay. Another one says no. So it's not Christians arguing over this. It's funny. It's, it's, it's another group altogether, isn't it? But it says... um. In a letter published in Miami Herald, um, Sir Dershowitz accused Cardinal Oscar Andres Rodriguez Maradiaga of Honduras of propagating conspiracy theories about Jews, describing him as an unrepentant sinner who has compared the Jewish-controlled media to Hitler for its persecution of the church. He said the cardinal, a possible replacement for Pope Benedict XVI, blamed the Jews for the scandal surrounding the sexual misconduct of priests towards young parishioners. And Mr. Dershowitz added, he's argued that Jews got even with the Catholic Church for its anti-Israel positions by arranging for the media, which they, of course, control, says Dershowitz here, to give disproportionate attention to the Vatican sex scandal. But National Director of the ADL, Abraham Foxman, defended the Cardinal. As far as we're concerned, the issue is closed, he said. He's never said anything of the same sort in the past 10 years, and he's involved in a Catholic-Jewish dialogue group in Latin America and has never repeated any such views. So everyone has to get vetted today for anything, uh, it seems, by, I don't know if it's self-appointed people or, or what, or you know, but it's, it's getting silly. It's just crazy and silly. Lloyds of London, <laughs> this is the age of plunder. Understand, the big boys know what they plan, the next big crash that they plan, because they plan it well in advance. And they never lose, because we, we always bail them out. And it has the added benefit of not letting a good crisis go to waste. They, they, they get us to bail them out, and it gets us further in a hole in debt. We go down, and we're right into austerity, as we're supposed to go. That's the whole plan. And it says here, Lloyd's in London's now share, shares are sale. They're selling off shares. They're moving closer. The sale of taxpayer-owned shares in London Banking Group looks to be a step closer, despite the lenders' £6.8 or billion pounds PPI mis-selling scandals, sending it into another big loss. So they're selling off even supposedly shares owned by the taxpayers who doesn't even know they've got them because in our name our government puts these things in there. You see, and you say, oh, that's the taxpayers. The sale of taxpayer-owned shares in Lloyd's Banking Group looked to be a step closer. Lloyd said it remained in the red with $570 million of losses in 2012 after taking more mammoth mis-selling provisions. So they made a lot of mistakes. But I'm sure we'll bail them out too, mind you, as they sell off the public shares in it. <laughs> the taxpayer shares. Back after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, we're talking about this matrix we live in. It really is quite comical at times too, and it's very tragic at other ones as well. As insanity rules, authorised insanity in fact, uh, but a lot of power in authorised insanity. And we're getting trained of course to be in a, a post-commercialised, post-consumerist society where we're simply going to be slaves. It's a new feudal system according to Carol Quigley, who was the historian for the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, organization, and it's a, really it's a feudal system, and they want to bring you down to utter poverty, and then literally everyone will get stamped for their function or, and their standing in necessity as well for the community or the world community or whatever community they're talking about. So I put an article tonight about Agenda 21, which is all part of it too, and it shows you far ahead. I mean, it was 1992 that the first Rio uh, summit uh, by, by Mr. Um, uh, who is it runs again? It's, um, Strong. That's in, Strong, Maurice Strong. I always forget his word, forget his, forget his name. Because I know he's related to their families too. And again, I'm all confused. Anyway, he was a guy who, who was put forward to pitch the idea to a bunch of people who already knew it was going to get pitched because they're all part of it. These meetings are just where they go and get your officials to sign things from your countries. And they draft it up maybe a year, two years in advance. And the guys who go back and forth as bureaucrats, just all the agreements made before the big meeting are called Sherpas, for those who don't know. Anyway, it says Agenda 21 is being rammed down the throats of local communities all over America. And it tells you, again, it started with Rio de Janeiro, Brazil 92. Since then, it's been mod- adopted by more than 200 countries and it's been modified and updated to other UN environmental summits. We don't vote for any of this stuff. We're run by private organizations. The philosophy behind Agenda 21 is that environmental problems are the number one problem that we are facing and that these problems are being caused by human activity and too many folk as well. Therefore, according to Agenda 21, human activity needs to be tightly monitored, regulated and controlled for the greater good. In other words, you need a big culling, is what they mean, and forced uh, sterilization. That's another part of it too. Individual liberties and freedoms must be sacrificed for the good of the planet. If you're thinking that this sounds like, uh, like it is exactly the opposite of what our founding fathers intended when they established the nation, you would be right on track. Those that promote the philosophy underlying Agenda 21 believe that human activity must be managed by world managers, you see. I've mentioned world managers many times. And that letting people make their own decisions is destructive and dangerous. And it's sadly the principles behind the Gen 21 are being rammed down the throats of local communities all over America and Canada and elsewhere. And most of the people living in those communities don't even realize it. How has it been done? It says, well, after it was uh, Agenda 21 adopted, an international organization known as the International Council for Local Environmental Initiatives, private organization, again, funded by foundations, ICLEI was established to help implement the goals of Agenda 21 in local communities. Uh, One thing that they learned very quickly was that the Agenda 21 label was a red flag for a lot of people. It intended to create quite a bit of opposition on the local level. They also call it Millennium Goals and so on like that. Different names for it. On their website, I read from it at the United Nations, actually, and they told them to keep changing the names for it because probably were catching on. On On the UN's website. As they try to implement their goals, they keep, they, they very rarely use the term Agenda 21 anymore. Instead, they use much more harmless sounding labels such as smart growth, comprehensive land use planning, and especially sustainable development. So just because something does not carry the Agenda 21 label does not mean that it's not promoting the goals of Agenda 21. So, as it's been, it's happening across the whole world, 
And I'll put this article up tonight, and there's more to the article on it all. And also this one here, it says the European Commission, again, this, this really unelected uh, bunch of commissioners or, or commissars, the new Soviet Union empire uh, based in Brussels that runs all of Europe. Uh, it says the European Commission announces full fel- uh, engagement, full engagement. In Agenda 21, it says, on February the 27th, the European Commission published a document announcing it will take on itself the lead role in global environmental governance through our unified policy framework, in effect aligning itself with Agenda 21. In the 30-page document titled A Descent Life for All, actually I should say descent is a good word, they say decent life for all, but it's really a descent, or descending life for all, isn't it? And the link is here too, I'll put that up now at cuttingthroughtheminutes.com. It says the, the economic community says, or a council says, aspires to a, a leading role in an overarching framework towards global governance. Sometimes you have global managers and they call it global governance. The commissars profess to care about worldwide poverty, environmental degradation and other no-brainers, carefully handpicked by an elite class, prepared to use any and every pretext behind which power is being centralised at the international level at the expense of sovereignty at the national one. Remember too, it's staffed at the top with uh, uh, neo-Marxists and neo-Trotskyists, they call themselves now, after Lenin gave Marxism a bad name. Uh, or, or at least Stalin did, they changed their name to being Trotskyists. It sounds better, even though he was a mass slaughterer as well. Anyway, it says the world has, and remember that was the whole thing in communism too, centralizing all power in all nations and then into blocks of nations like the European Union. That's why I say it's the new Soviet. And eventually the world. The world has undergone enormous change over recent years, the document reads, including major shifts in the global economic and political balance, increased global trade, Climate change, and always put climate change in here, and depletion of natural resources, technological change, economic and financial crisis, increased consumption and price volatility of food and energy consumption, population changes and migration, violence and armed conflict and natural and man-made disasters, and increased inequalities. Quite some parade of calamities the EU is willing to tackle. A lead role is what they work towards. The author states, and the EC commissars are perfectly willing to debate their plans with the European only in name parliament. And it's true, not name, it's only in name that's called European. A few exceptions aside, this parliament consists of nodding, dozing, sometimes outright sleeping individuals who are there to approve the Commission's proposals and send their lunch bills to the European taxpayer. And they do that without qualm. And they do nod off if you ever see them. They're always nodding off there or, look, or watching porn on their internet. I'm not kidding. There's so many things up there, comical things I've caught them doing. The EU needs to engage fully in the forthcoming international processes with coherent and coordinated inputs at the United Nations and in other relevant flora. In this respect, adoption of this communication should be followed by a debate with Council and Parliament during the spring, spring of 2013 for the development of a common EU approach for the next stages of the ongoing process. As these document lists these stages, we immediately recognize the overarching framework of a merging of regional blocks such as the EU with the United Nations and Agenda 21. And the Commission says to ensure a comprehensive follow-up to Rio Plus 20, the guide the EU position at the UN Open Working Group, 
That's O-R-W-G and on S-D-G, which will report regularly to the U-N-G-A. You need a, a whole dictionary for all these organizations that belong to the United Nations. And it says, contribute to the preparations of the UN General Assembly special event on the MDGs in autumn 2013, including the report of the Secretary General and the UN High Level Panel on post-2015, as well as the first meeting of the HLPF. The, the EU should support moving to, more moving towards post-2015 overarching frameworks. Discussion on the basis of the orientation set above should make it possible for the EU to come to a common position on how the SDGs and the MDG review processes should best be converged. This is converge, integrate a single overarching process, words by cautious tyrants. All noses are now pointed in the same direction towards the realization of the UN's Millennium Development Goals, including Agenda 21. To be achievable, that the overarching framework should be accompanied by an effort to ensure that all resources are, are mobilized. All resources, folks, that's you too, and your water and your food and everything, are harnessed effectively alongside a commitment by all countries to pursue a comprehensive approach to these resources and coherent and appropriate policies. And it names some of the goals, there's a few of them, such as climate and energy package and low carbon roadmap for 2050. That's high taxation personally for for, uh, emitting carbon dioxide and so on. 2030 climate and energy policy, that's one of the goals. Energy efficiency directive. Ongoing legislative legislative proposals on emissions from cars and vans, they want you off the road, as well as fluorinated CHG reduction. So it says, uh, on the last article, 2012, this author says, uh, he put down EU-funded group outlines draconian population control scenarios for the next 40 years. I covered a document from 2010 funded by the EU, the European Union, and the World Wildlife Fund titled Scenarios Towards a One-Planet Economy in Europe, in which several scenarios are passed or aligned towards a one-planet economy. The policy uh, settings mentioned within the document that are uh, neatly fit and neatly in line with the end game as formulated in Agenda 21, namely to redistribute wealth globally. That's from you, higher taxation. You do it already, the Marxian concept of, of redistribution of wealth. Uh, and it says greening the global economy and to stabilize, re, uh, it says stabilize as well. It says, um, which means reduce the global population. In addition, the authors of the document sketch out a scenario in which the EU will control education and media. You, could, you, have, to be, you have to be totally indoctrinated into political correctness of all kinds. In 2050, the document reads, Europeans are forced to adapt green lifestyle habits, for example, via bans on non-essential individual long-distance travel. That's part of the Agenda 21, folks. They said there would be no private vehicles, if you read that whole Agenda 21. Uh, there'd be no private vehicles, at only, um, and only essential vehicles would be allowed on the roads. It says, by this stage, air travel has long been too expensive for the majority of people. The state controls or heavily influences all available channels of education, media and marketing to spread this message to continually reinforce its adoption and mold perceptions of sustainability. In other words, total brainwashing. This reflects a proposal I covered recently uh, issued by a plethora of prominent scientists established an Agenda 21-style scientific dictatorship in the U.S. The document by the EU-funded group states, By 2020, most media outlets were tightly controlled by the government and used to try to manage behavior uh, change. That's their job, 
creating behavioral change, selling the cool uh, to play within the limits. So it's cool to play within the, the limits. That's so you're good if you, you, do, you do that. And green means growth messages. In the 2010 document, the authors also envision a future where the EU will voluntary and give assisted suicide and it will become illegal in all EU countries because they want to kill off the folk who are beyond working age. They don't want them to retire and have a pension. They want to take your pension from you. It's already happening in the articles, even yesterday, considering the US. The European Commissioner for the Environmental for Environment is called uh, Potoknik recently states that he attaches more importance to behaviour-changing policies, such as green taxes rather than reactive policies that punish polluters. Quoting his good friend Achim Steiner, uh, Executive Director of the United Nations Programme, Environmental Approach, is saying that the idea of governing markets was agreed upon when Agenda 21 was formally created in 92 at the original Air Summit in Rio de Janeiro. So you're going into completely Orwellian time, folks, and at the end of it, they hope to have the Brave New World scenario after we go through the Orwellian part of the big boot and the black clad guys. After that, we'll just behave ourselves because we're totally indoctrinated. And this one, too, is um, to do with, um, oh, yeah, the bombing suspects, just in case they're guilty. I touched on that one, but I didn't go through much of it there. It says, um, there's a new trend in the war on terror by the real world terror of the U.S., Israel, and Western governments, and it's called bomb them just in case. With the looming threat of an attack on the innocent Iran, it's the same premise of bomb them just in case. Now, this tactic is no different than shooting someone just in case they get a gun and kill you, even though they have never ex- exhibited any aggression or threat of aggression towards you, or indeed never possessed a gun in the past. A similar analogy is that of a bully in a schoolyard terrorizing and beating up the younger children just in case they grow bigger and tougher and just might become a threat to you later on. So get them anyway, just in case. It's the same as the horrific unprovoked murders taking place in Pakistan by the drone strikes, which is murder without a trial for the victims or the perpetrators. Again, we see the same pattern of kill them just in case. They might be guilty with no evidence, no proof and no trial. Actually, it's part of standard warfare taught now, even in Sandhurst, is to kill off the children as well, because they, they may grow up to be terrorists, because they'll be so angry at what's been done to their countries. And that came from Israel, too, the same with the first strike policy. They're not hitting us, they aren't even threatening us, but one day they will, so let's hit them first. And that's been adopted by the U.S. completely. Quite the world, eh? And um, we're, we're living, really, in an incredible changing world, incredible, incredible changing world, so fast that most folk can't even keep up with it. Now, they do recruit psychopathic people at the top uh, who will sell their countries down the drain like Tony Blair. Definite psychopath. All the, he's got all the qualities of the psychopath. Absolutely no repentance. Even in the interviews he's given to do with his basically sole push for war on Iraq and bringing the, the, the British government into it. Uh, uh, he, he said that um, he, he still wouldn't go back and change his mind. He didn't think he did anything wrong. So a psychopath will never say they're wrong. Never, ever say they're wrong. Ever, ever, ever. Yeah, that's the way it is. And, and they have no remorse, you see. They, they don't have sleepless nights worrying about things. It's not, it's not in the makeup of a psychopath. Anyway, he admits that people are still very abusive to him. Yeah, right? Ten years after you ordered the Iraq invasion. 
He says he's given up trying to persuade critics that the 2003 conflict was the right decision. Well, it was for the ones who planned it all. And we do know that Kissinger said that, and Brzezinski too, that um, a long-term strategy of getting internal conflict going between the different factions and having them fight forever would make them totally useless and no threat to anybody, which they've proven that's the case. And the U.S. and other countries, are fun- and Britain too, now are funding all, con- all sides, all the different types of Muslim groups and so on, so they'll kill each other. Exactly as they planned. The big boys do tell you what they're going to do, you know. Anyway, it says Tony Blue last night admitted that it was, it was a, it's made him a hate figure in Britain and acknowledged that it's failed to make the world a safer place. So he admits that part hasn't made it any safer. It's worse now because if your country got bombed, you might grow up being awfully angry about it, for instance. In a frank interview to mark the 10th anniversary of the conflict, the former British Prime Minister said members of the public were still very abusive towards him over his decision to take Britain to war alongside George W. Bush, who worked for a foreign power at the time, by the way. Mr. Blair acknowledged that the situation in Iraq was still not nearly what it should be, with the country suffering almost daily terrorist attacks. But he said he had given up trying to persuade people that he had made the right decision, and he insisted the situation would have been even worse if Saddam Hussein had been left in power. Well, why? Worse than what? It's in the Stone Age now, folks. Look at the money it's cost too, and look at the lives that have been lost over what? Who benefited? Well, we know, don't we? Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through me. Talking about an article about Tony Blair, the great psychopath who got his pockets filled by the big boys once he left office. I mean, that's, that's when they get your big payoffs, you know. And he was in with uh, the big bankers after that too, and doing different uh, things across the Middle East for getting the oil into the oil companies' coffers and so on as they plundered the countries. Awfully handsomely rewarded for it too. But it says here, he made no apology for the conflict, which cost 179 British lives, which was nothing compared to the to the <laughs> Iraqis, and led to the deaths of more than 100,000 Iraqis. Well, in the, in the starvation uh, embargo they had on with Madeleine Albright, she said, uh, before it happened, that she was asked about 500,000 dying, so half a million at that time. It's about a million by the time they finished starving them to death, women, children, and all the rest of it. They wouldn't even let medical aid in or uh, antibiotics and so it's vastly over 100,000 Iraqis altogether. And he suggested the West was in the middle of a generational conflict, which may also require military invention in Syria and Iran. Well, it's completely PC, this guy. He knows where, who lines his pockets. And his comments sparked anger over opponents of the war, and certainly ones who have had their, their guys killed in the military over there. And they're very angry. And one of them said, as far as I'm concerned, they should be dragged in shackles to the International Criminal Court for war crimes. He said, we invaded a sovereign country. And it was sovereign, remember? And went against the United Nations. Well, the United Nations is part of the problem, folks, as we well know. And, of course, they also want the ICC, International Criminal Court, for a different purpose, not for what you think it is. Nothing is for what you think it's for. And this is, when I look at the son's grave, I think, what did he die for? It's a total waste. Blair shouldn't be surprised that people shout at him in the street and all follow him to the end of his days. I won't bother Blair at all because, as I say, he's a really real, I don't know, psychopath and they have no conscience. 
big smiling face. If you con anybody, oh, he's a nice fellow. That's what you think of psychopaths. They're all nice fellows, you know. That's how they are. And also tonight, too, I'll put up a link to... Uh, most folk forget that um, the big boys that, 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 like, who came up with the idea of the Club of Rome for Global Warming to change all our lives and get us to act like obedient little servants and austerity, uh, the, before that they tried the other tactic, hoping it was going to be an ice age. And they were putting out all the articles back in the 70s of the coming ice ages. and All the same guys who were involved in the global warming were in on it, writing books and everything. Same guys for the United Nations and all the big uh, the ones who own the United Nations. And it's got all the articles and links here. You can really go through all the articles, the big ones that came out from the 70s uh, onwards about uh, all the, the excuses we're using. And they're saying that pollution then was calling the ice, causing the Ice Age. We, we were causing the, it was man-made global Ice Age. No kidding you. Now it's man-made global warming. It doesn't matter what they call it. You see, they'll get it through regardless because it's, it's to tax you into the earth and make sure that you're trained into being a good, obedient slave to save us all, you understand. This is a long article. All the links are in it. They've done their homework. And it's probably well over a hundred articles on here to do with, uh, that they were churning out and terrifying the public with, or trying to terrify the public with back in the 1970s. And then it didn't quite turn out that way. So they overnight switched to, oh, global warming, global warming will fry the planet. Too many people. There's too many people having it too good. Can't have that. So, understand the media is all part of it, of course, always is. And uh, we're already in the age of world management. What we get fed at the bottom is mainly propaganda, mainly propaganda, sometimes outright propaganda. Other times half a story is missing, another half of a story is missing to bring you to the correct conclusion that your masters want you to come to. But uh, it goes on and on, doesn't it? Because they want a, a world management system. None of this democracy stuff. From Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your God's school with you.